and everyone needs to, to make money, so we have to, we have to open. Counting the hours. We are sanitized the entire restaurant, the extra tables we took it out. South Florida back in business with restrictions. I have signed an executive order uh, that grants the request from both Miami-Dade and Broward. The governor gives his blessing for business not as usual. It's definitely going to be a different way of conducting business. When it opens, will they come? I'm not sure if I'm really ready to bring my family out. I really have no idea how to describe this. It's pretty surreal. Relief for the jobless still roadblock. We've had people that uh, remarked on social media how they walked into oncoming traffic to take their own life. Vaccine research now at warp speed. The historic groundbreaking initiative in our ongoing effort to rapidly develop and manufacture a coronavirus vaccine. As South Florida works to stop the spread. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. In fewer than 24 hours, Miami-Dade and Broward counties are set to emerge from two months of a pandemic shutdown. The lockdown will be lifted a little in Miami-Dade and Broward. These are baby steps, but we will take them. Still, it's going to take many months, maybe longer, for South Florida's economy to recover. And it's not going to happen without help from Washington. Another round of relief passed the House late Friday, a $3 trillion package that includes more direct money to people and a trillion for ailing state and local governments. The so-called HEROES Act passed by just four votes along party lines now heads to the Senate and President Trump has already called it dead on arrival. South Florida Congresswoman Donna Shalala was among the Democratic yes votes on Friday. As you see, she is with us this morning via Skype from Coral Gables. Congresswoman, great to have you. Thank you very much. Good morning, Congresswoman. So the president, Mitch McConnell, say the HEROES Act, which you voted for on Friday, is going nowhere in the Senate. How does this move forward? Because without a doubt, state and local governments and a lot of people need the help from Washington. And there's bipartisan support in the Senate to move forward on uh, resources for state and local government, as well as many of the other elements which have been funded before. There are only a couple of things that weren't in other packages. Uh, this bill uh, allows us to extend unemployment insurance. Sure, we're going to open some restaurants in Miami-Dade, but frankly, they're not going to open at 100%, and it's hard to maintain a restaurant and pay all of your employees if you're only getting 25% of your revenue. So um, there are a lot of pieces of this, including direct checks to people, which we've done before, which we intend to repeat, uh, as well as OSHA protectors and extra money for essential workers. They deserve combat pay, as far as I'm concerned, and this bill uh, includes that. Um, as well as other things that we did before. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, confused about the president's reaction uh, because he well knows that we have to keep making investments in the economy. It's exactly what the Fed chair said. He said, basically, you can't spend too little to revive this economy. And we have to do it gradually over yeah. time. Yeah, Representative, let, let me just jump in quickly. A follow-up. There is a provision in this bill that we've read about that the president and a lot of Republicans, like Rick Scott, really object to. It would provide, I have learned, $1,200 for undocumented immigrants. Is that something you support? Yes, because they have tax numbers. 
because they're working here in our community, um, because they have uh, they paid taxes in our community, and I think they deserve, like the rest of us, to get some of their tax money back. What we don't need is people starving on our streets. These are workers who have a tax number, and they ought to be able to get some resources to take care of their families. I don't know anyone in South Florida that doesn't believe that we ought to take care of people so that they're not starving. And to Michael's point, I just wanted to point out that these are undocumented immigrants, but taxpayers working here paying their taxes. Congresswoman, that was one of the big sticking points that, that we're hearing out of the Senate, but also Senate President Mitch McConnell had intimated that enough is enough with the direct payments to people. There's one more in this bill. Would you be in favor of what some are advocating as, as weekly or monthly continuing payments to Americans? That would be ideal for a short period of time until we've uh, gotten a vaccine or at least a treatment to allow us to control um, and, and to save people's lives. But right now, um, the politics isn't there for that. And what we're doing is repeating the kind, the $1,200 payment that we did before. Um, I, I just don't understand. Mitch McConnell must not be talking to people in his community. I'm talking to people in our community, and they need help. We're not getting calls to my office. We're getting cries for help. Um, and uh, I intend to bring our tax money, the money that we've sent to Washington, back to our community because that's exactly what we're doing. It's not someone else's money, it's our money that we're bringing back to our community. Yeah. Representative Shalala, one of the many objections to this HEROES bill, this HEROES Act, uh, is Rick Scott, among other Republicans, says that it would bail out cities and counties, uh, states which have been really um, irresponsible in funding their own pension plans. And he says, well, why should we bail out pension plans when the mistake is on the part of those uh, governments and not the federal government? What do you this, say to him? This is the Senator Scott that totally screwed up our unemployment compensation system in this, um, in this state. He has no standing to say things like that. In our community, our cities deserve the resources. They're spending resources on COVID-19. The state has, is spending resources and they need the money. Look, look at Miami Beach. It probably has about 90,000 residents. It gets 10 million visitors. It has to maintain its police department, its fire department. We're talking about teachers and police and fire and sanitation workers and transit workers. Uh, we're talking about real people, our friends and neighbors in our community that work hard, that happen to work for the government or get their resources through the government, again, we want to bring Florida's money back to Florida. Congresswoman, I want to talk a little bit about state unemployment. I was watching a town hall you were part of just a few days ago with other Democratic South Florida congressmen and women, and all I heard from you all was the same kind of utter frustration that you must be hearing over and over from constituents who we've heard some are are frankly suicidal. That's how desperate they are. But really, what can Congress do about this state system to, to change it, to make progress, to get it going? What is that role? We've given them administrative money so that they can straighten out the Florida system. I know the governor inherited this system. 
but he didn't work on it his first year, and he's got to straighten it out now. He's hearing from constituents. He now says, well, they made mistakes in their applications. Most of the people that are applying for unemployment have never applied for unemployment before. Of course they're going to make mistakes. Our responsibility is to make sure they get the money. And by that, I mean every elected official in the state, those of us who have brought the money back and those of us that are administering the system. So the governor needs to all hands on deck. This is a full court press to get people their resources. We don't need excuses. We need to get this job done. We've extended unemployment in the HEROES Act um, until uh, the end of the year. I hope we won't need it uh, until the end of the year and the people are going to be able to go back to work. But frankly, um, we've got to take care of uh, our citizens, our friends uh, down here in South Florida. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to keep the pressure up uh, on the governor. But yeah. we did give them the administrative money, so there are no financial uh, hurdles here. Yeah. Uh, very briefly, Representative Shalala, I want to bring up uh, you got into a little hot water recently by not reporting to the appropriate uh, congressional committee the, fail, the fact that you sold some of your stocks, bonds uh, from your port portfolio. Uh, how did you make that mistake? What happened there? Huh. Well, what I was doing was selling all of my stock uh, in 2019, and that's what I was doing in 2019 with the intention of doing a blind trust, and it's on me. I take full responsibility. You're supposed to report when you sell uh, your stock. I wasn't selling one stock. I was selling all of it. And it's now been fully reported. And I have no unrestricted uh, stock left. It's all been reported and all been sold. It shouldn't have happened, but I take full responsibility for that. Congresswoman Donna Shalala, always appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being Thank with us. Thank you very much. And up next, a preview of tomorrow's reopening in Miami-Dade and Broward. We are going to talk to the man in charge of making the rules for it, Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez. At midnight tonight, South Florida gets back to business. The governor gave the green light to the first phase of a new normal for Broward and Miami-Dade counties. Local 10's Madeline Wright is live right now on Ocean Drive in Miami Beach, which obviously, uh, Madeline, that's a prime example of how things are going to change. That's right, Glenna and Michael. Miami-Dade and Broward counties are planning to reopen some non-essential businesses beginning tomorrow. However, there are four cities within Miami-Dade County that are setting their own timeline. For example, in Miami Beach, the city is not going to begin phase one of reopening until Wednesday. Now, here on Ocean Drive and Fifth Street, this gate is blocking vehicle traffic from going through, but pedestrians and bikers and rollerbladers are allowed to pass by simply simply walking in between the barricades. Miami Beach police are opening the gate for authorized vehicles on Ocean Drive, but the general driving public won't be allowed. Ocean Drive is open to pedestrian traffic only for the foreseeable future. Across South Florida, big changes are coming up. Business owners are eager to reopen their doors after months of being shut down. So anxious to hear when we're going to open, so it was a another happy day in life. Beginning tomorrow in Broward County, restaurants and retail stores will be able to operate at 50% capacity. Hair and nail salons at 25% capacity. 
in Miami-Dade County, also opening tomorrow, business owners have to follow some of the same restrictions. On Friday, County Mayor Carlos Jimenez addressed a variety of questions, including some about barber shops. Anytime that a, a barber or hairdresser is actually looking at you, they have to wear a face shield. The mayor also addressed what happens if you want to try on some clothes at a boutique. If you try on something, then the, the store has to disinfect it before it puts it back on the rack. Back live in Miami Beach, Governor DeSantis has given approval for all gyms in Florida to reopen. However, Miami-Dade County is opting out and keeping gyms closed, while in Broward County, gyms are allowed to reopen, but only in apartment buildings and housing complexes with some restrictions. Live in Miami Beach, Madeline Wright, Local 10 News. Glenna and Michael. Madeline, thanks so much. Well, Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez I think is the most prominent political leader in South Florida who has been driving decisions about coronavirus and our economy. The mayor has spent much of the last week detailing this color-coded rules about about to be phase yellow and also fielding questions about whether it is just too soon. Mayor joins us right now by Skype from Coconut Grove. Mayor, good morning. Mr. Mayor. Good morning. How are you? You know, we've been looking at the 180-something pages of the color-coded rule book. It is pretty detailed. I think if you heard Madeline Wright's report, um, the county is going to phase one opening, but not every city in the county is. And we've heard so much kind of confusion and a lot of questions about where the borders are and what can I do here and what about here. And is this patchwork going to work? Well, we look. We uh, the orders that we give are the minimum uh, that uh, that all cities have to comply with. Some cities can be more strict if they want to. I don't think there's any city or any actually just anybody about any other municipality or county in the in the in the United States has gone through as thorough a process as we have. Every decision that uh, we've made, everything has been in a in a very collaborative process with business owners, but then. Also, everything's been flushed through with our medical advisors, and we have a number of uh, medical advisors from University of Miami, FIU, uh, Jackson U Health, and also the Florida, Florida Department of, of Health that has guided this process all the way through. And so, yeah, the, the rules are, are pretty long, but uh, again, this process has been very thorough, very deliberate, and, uh, and using science uh, every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I, I have watched you develop this with your team, all your advisors, watched your town hall on Friday afternoon, and it was very thorough. And this is science-driven. But, you know, I look at these latest figures. In the last 24 hours, Miami-Dade has had 355 new cases of coronavirus. 11 people have died. Mm -hmm. And you just have to wonder to yourself, all right, the trend may be down, going down a little, but are we really ready to reopen? We're absolutely ready to reopen. Michael, 350 cases is way below what we really have. Our study, our internal study, has shown that well over 200,000 people in Miami-Dade County have either had the virus or have the virus, you know, right now. My, the, what we look at is how many people are being hospitalized, how many people are on ventilators, how many ICU beds do we have? How many critical bear, uh, care beds do we have? And we have sufficient capacity. We have over 80% capacity and all that. We have the lowest number of people on ventilators that we've had you know, since this crisis began. Yes, there are people, there are, there are fatalities here, but um, we are, the trend is down. 
any increase that we've seen now in hospitalizations for COVID is uh, fully attributable to uh, nursing homes and uh, long-term health care facilities where they're transferring from those nursing homes into hospitals. Uh, and so, yeah, this is the right time. And look, we wouldn't have taken the step had we not been guided by our, our medical professionals. And the, the rules that we have, they are strict and they are detailed for a reason, because if you follow those rules, you'll be safe. Does it mean that you're gonna be 100% safe? No, but we also have to take personal responsibility for how we act. We have to have our masks on. We have to keep social distancing. We need to wash our hands. We need to keep our hands uh, away from our, our face. And if we do that, uh, we will continue to you know, tamp down the level of infection here in Miami-Dade County, and then we can now look forward to starting to open other things in the future. So let, let's talk about that personal responsibility because you're right, there are so many people who are even now without the rules in place yet acting so differently and, and the matter of perspective is one person's personal freedom is another person's reckless behavior. So what is enforcement going to look like as we go forward this weekend to make sure that not only the businesses opening up under the rules are following those, that's huge, but also that people are doing what they're supposed to do mm -hmm. to, to, to mitigate the risk. Well, we've, uh, we've tasked the Miami-Dade Police Department uh, to be you know, our enforcement arm, but also uh, we have what's RER, our regulatory and uh, uh, department of Miami-Dade, all the inspectors, they're gonna be out. We're gonna be adding additional inspectors and, and folks to enforce the rules. Enforcement is going to be key to this. Uh, we have to. And we're, look, the one thing I'm, I'm really proud of, of the people of Miami-Dade County is that, by and large, they have followed the rules. When uh, we've, we have close to 3,000 inspections you know, per day by our police department, and we haven't arrested anybody that I know of, except there's that one, one individual who was on the beach uh, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, outside of that, we haven't arrested anybody. The people, once you tell them, hey, you have to do this, they follow the rules, they put on their masks, they keep social distancing, they break up groups, um, you know, they wash their hands. And so I'm really proud of the way that uh, the people of Miami-Dade County has responded to this and have followed the rules. That's the reason why we can start opening up, because they have followed the rules. I expect the same thing now that we've got more and more of our businesses open. But you know, the last six weeks have shown us, have shown the people of Miami-Dade what they need to do. When you go into a grocery store, you stay six feet apart, you have a mask, et cetera. Those are the same rules that are gonna be in effect when we open up all these other businesses. And so I'm pretty confident, I'm very confident that you know, we're, we're gonna be fine. Yeah, Mr. Mayor, let me ask you about one kind of small decision, although it affects a lot of people. Uh, and that is your decision, your recommendation, uh, not to open pools at condominiums or clubhouses in a community, but they're gonna do that in Broward County. Now that is their choice. Why have you made your choice? It's, uh, some that's because that's one of those things that are very difficult to enforce. It's a private, uh, you know, it's a private residence. And so we, we still are looking at that. We do have a, uh, a group uh, that are conversing now with our medical experts on how to get that done. And when we, when we do it, we wanna make sure it's done the right way. We've done the same thing with gyms. Gyms, look, they have, you have multiple people touching equipment, multiple touch points. It's very difficult to say, that, to enforce that, hey, you have to sanitize after each use of, of gym equipment, but we're working on that too. And so 
look, this is our first step. We want to make sure, and we also need to look at, at the trend line uh, once we take these first steps and then start opening up more and more businesses as time goes on. The last thing, you know, I, I want to get the, the, the a normal, a new normal, uh, that uh, every business is open, but it's, it's going to take a while for certain things to open up. You know, one of the things that the researchers and scientists have been saying is really needed for this opening process from the beginning is this contact tracing process. Uh, and I wonder if you could explain how and where that is in the county, because the state surgeon general during the week said we have more than a thousand contact tracers out right now statewide. W what do you know countywide? Where are they and, and what have they found? Well, part of our plan, you know, there's a two-pronged plan here to how, to how we're going to look at this. A, we're going to see the data of, of how many hospitalizations. We're also going to continue our robust uh, testing in the, in the community. It's randomized testing in the community so we can see where this, where this virus is at. And we're going to be adding 800 to 1,000 contact tracers here in Miami-Dade County alone. That's part of the, the entire plan. We have to do that in order to make sure that we tamp down the level of infection here in Miami-Dade County and keep it down as we start opening up the economy. And so I have uh, one of my um, deputy directors of one of our departments is in charge of the contact tracing. Uh, he's a rising star. I have a, a lot of confidence in him. And he's putting that all together. But that's all part of the entire plan of how we're opening up Miami-Dade County. Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez, uh, thank you for your time. You have really been on it, and we appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you all. And up next, we're talking to the owner of a landmark South Florida restaurant who is busy getting ready for customers tomorrow. Welcome back. No segment of South Florida's economy has been hit harder by coronavirus than hospitality, tourism, and especially restaurants. And tomorrow, those restaurants will be allowed to open their dining rooms 50% capacity after they've been closed for two months, except for takeout service. What a stressful time this has been for restaurant owners and employees. Today, we've got a great restaurant worker owner with us, Jack Sturdiali. He and his family own and run Tropical Acres in Dania Beach. It is a South Florida landmark. It has been there operating since 1949. And Jack Sturdiali joins us now from Tropical Acres. Jack, good morning. Great to see you again. Good morning. Thanks for uh, having me. All right. So we understand by, of course, regulations, you could open Tropical Acres tomorrow, but you're going to hold off a little bit. Why are you going to hold off? Yes, we had a, a staff meeting Thursday and then a full staff meeting with everybody present on Friday. And we determined that we just had a few things to tie up. Uh, we have some, you know, modifications, some repairs that we're making, and uh, we need another day to finish that. But more importantly, we'd like to see what the first blush looks like with the other restaurants opening and to get some feedback from there. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing sort of a, an amended business plan like so many other restaurants have in trying to do takeout and delivery. You, you've opened sort of what is a butcher shop, allowing people to buy meats directly. H how are you going to be incorporating all of this and all of the new rules? I mean, what, what's that going to be like for you when you open? Well, you're correct. We did open a butcher shop. We're known for our steaks and have been for years. 
we took this opportunity. My staff got together and we decided let's sell the steaks in an unprepared fashion, just portioned. And it's gone over very well. We've marketed it and we've been busy. And that has enabled us to keep our staff occupied, busy, employed, and paid. So that's uh, been going well. What we're doing now, we've uh, actually Friday, we did some training, additional training for the staff, how they're going to react with the new regulations that now we have to adhere to. All right, well, tell us a, a little bit about how they are going to be working. They'll be wearing masks. Will they be wearing gloves? How is how's it going to work? Uh, they will be wearing masks and they will be keeping their distance. And some of the questions that they asked me when we spoke Friday was, now I'm going to walk up to the table and I hope they know I'm going to be within closer than six feet to take their order. And that being said, uh, we have to be within six feet. We have, we're going to be next to the table. Um, so some people might be reluctant, but we will be wearing the mask. We will be, we are stressing the hand washing and the sanitation and nothing uh, is going to be touched that the customer is going to be touched. We're using one single service menus so that those are discarded after use. Uh, the silverware that they're using is wrapped so it's not going to be touched by somebody else. We want to put our customers at ease and we're trying to convey that to our staff and they're accepting it. It's a, quite an adjustment as this all is, but um, they're accepting it well and I think it's going to be a success. We just needed a few more days to iron out all the kinks. Yeah, you know. We see the biggest issue is, I'm sorry. No, no, is, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. With the customers keeping six feet apart, the, uh, you know, coming into the lobby and then uh, dispersing them through the dining room. But in the lobby area, of course, they're not going to be in the lounge because we can't seat or serve in the bar. But controlling the stat of the, uh, in the customers, I think, is going to be our biggest task. Yeah, you know, uh, the restaurant business on face value is such a difficult business. You've been in business 70 years, I mean, someone's lifetime, and so you've weathered things like a recession in 87 and 9-11. Talk, if you would, a little bit, Jack, about how might this be different and the consumer confidence level that really you never had to deal with in the aftermath of the other crises. Yes, this is, this is unprecedented, needless to say. And um, we are moving forward. I, I, you know, the restaurant business is difficult. A lot of people come in and they see a busy night. And those of us that are in the fraternity and are in it know that the margins are very close. They see a busy night. They think we're making a lot of money and things are great. But it's a stressful situation. And I've heard already that there are numerous restaurants that are closing. So the we're... we're going to be able to address that. We have in the past, we had a fire nine or 10 years ago, and uh, that was a personal crisis, but we addressed it. And all those staff members are still here, or the majority of them. And we've had other things over the time, but this is something that uh, we all have to get used to. And we are maybe count, we are, we're directing our staff, but we're also counseling our staff to attempt to get through this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a certain amount of angst and, and stress that they're all feeling sure. and uh, kind of as cheerleaders we are in contact with all of them in an effort to make this as well uh, as easy as possible although it's not easy no it is not uh, 
On the other hand, Tropical Acres has been pleasing diners uh, for 71 <laughs> years. I'm sure come uh, the 26th of this month, uh, you will start doing it again. Jack Sturdy Alley, great to talk with you. Thanks for the time. Really great glimpse into, Thank into you. A, a very personal situation. Up next, we're going to talk to the mayor of Miami Gardens, Oliver Gilbert, about the challenges his city is facing when it reopens. Stay tuned. Even before Miami-Dade and Broward counties unveiled their reopening plans, some of the bigger cities in those counties announced their own plans with differing dates and differing rules. And one of them is right on the border of Miami-Dade and Broward, the city of Miami Gardens, home to Hard Rock Stadium and Mayor Oliver Gilbert. And Miami Gardens Mayor joins us right now via Skype. Good morning, Mayor. Hey, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Michael. Actually, seven minutes into good afternoon. Great to have you with us. <laughs> so right, you're, good afternoon. Yeah, you're deciding to hold off. Um, you know, the, the county is 34 cities. You are the northernmost and making your own rules. What was the decision about to not reopen tomorrow? And, and what is the plan? Well, you know what? We, we want to be a little extra careful here in Miami Gardens. One of the things that we started talking about even before the national news reported it was that uh, COVID-19 specifically, who it attacks and how it attacks and how severe it is for people. Uh, it, the comorbidities, look, whether it's high blood pressure or asthma or respiratory illnesses, or it, all of those things exist in higher proportions in African-American communities. And so we knew this because we've been working with Live Healthy Miami Gardens for years, trying to improve health outcomes for people in Miami Gardens. And so we knew that there was a greater risk for our residents our aged residents and residents who had those comorbidities. So we started early on um, with tougher with tougher restrictions. You know, the county had it at 10 people. We had it at five people. We, we, we closed down a, a little bit sooner. And, and, and the idea, idea was is that we, we want to be very careful because we can find a way to address business concerns. Uh, we can find a way to rebuild the economy. We can't yeah. find a way to give someone back their loved one. Yeah. And we can't find a way that once this genie is out of the bottle to actually try to put it back in. Yeah. And, and so we're a little careful. We're, we're opening up some things on Wednesday, um, wholesale, retail, mer merchant wholesale and retail. And, and that's a lot of stores. We've reduced their capacities. We put a lot of protective measures in place. And we've also informed them that it, it's not just going to be our police officers and our code enforcement officers and our building staff that's going to be policing it, but it's the residents that are going to be policing this. You know, we set up an email address, breakingrules at miamigarden-fl.gov. If you don't obey the rules, we'll come out and we'll shut you down. Hmm. And so we're being very methodical, very thoughtful, and very cautious uh, with an understanding that the one thing we can't replace is someone's life. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Gilbert, we know that, among other things, that Miami Gardens is going to allow restaurants in the city to reopen, I guess, June 1st. Now, that's later than any other community in South Florida. Why are you waiting on the restaurants? Uh, you know what? And that's that's not a date that's set in stone. I know people have been saying June 1st, and, and that's something we want to target. But it, it may be a little later. It may be a little earlier. Uh, we want to see how this works. What we're going to do this week is not just with restaurants, but with barbershops and beauty salons. We want to actually see, we're going to be going around and seeing how the things function in other places and, and how they're policed in other places. And we're going to be monitoring the health outcomes and the numbers that rise or don't rise uh, in result of those things. And, and then we're going to be working with our restaurant community to actually work with them to put in put in place the safety mechanisms and measures that we're asking them to incorporate into their operation 
so that when it is announced, they can get right up and running. Mayor, the uh, Hard Rock Stadium testing site, the governor says, is the most prolific in the state. They do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds a day. Uh, they've added the antibody testing. Recently, they added sort of a pop-up place to clean personal protective masks. I mean, it is a full-on operation right there in your city. I know in your tenure, you were all about economic development and business development. Is, is there a clash there for you there, or are you okay with this? Um, I, I'm okay with it. I think that the, the testing site being at the Hard Rock is important for the community safety. And that's not just, not, not just Miami Gardens, but we exist in a larger economic ecosystem, but also health ecosystem. And so we, we need a place that can actually process tests. I actually wish more people were getting tested. I think one of the, the we do have robust, robust testing available right now, but the number of people who are getting tested is, is not necessarily what I would like to see. I would like to see people who are asymptomatic getting tested. One of the scariest things that I actually heard uh, from a doctor at Mahari uh, Medical School was that um, three out of every four people who, who catch COVID-19 will catch it from someone who is asymptomatic. And, and I, I thought about it, and I was like, well, it makes sense because if someone looks sick, you don't really go around them, and they, they try to seclude themselves. It's people who don't look sick and don't feel bad. And, and that's who we're opening the economy for right now. And so I think that more people should be getting tested. I believe that in, in all things where there is economic development, um, whether it's you know unemployment, we need to err on the side of caution. And, and that's what we're trying to do in Miami Gardens. I understand what the mayor of the county is doing, and I understand his position. It's broad. I think that he's doing his job uh, from a broad perspective. He, he, is made, he is in place to make policy decisions for the county overall. But in, in local municipalities, we're elected to you know, tailor that those decisions to yeah. our local uh, municipalities, and that's what we're doing here in Miami Gardens. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mayor, let me go back to something you alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, and that is the fact that African Americans, as we have learned, have been more severely impacted by COVID-19 than any other group in this country. It's just kind of an alarming number. And the reason we have also discovered is that their medical treatment for diabetes or heart disease or any other ailments, they have been undertreated. Now, if there's anything good to come out of this terrible pandemic, could it be that the medical treatment for African Americans in your community and in our larger community improves? Oh, well, I think that's something that's definitely one of the takeaways, Michael. But I'll tell you, to be honest, the reason why we were on, in front of this story is because we've been working so hard on this story before it became an issue. Look, we're, we're a finalist for um, an All-American City, and one of the reasons we're finalists for All-American City is because of Live Healthy Miami Gardens and our Department of Civic Engagement. What we said is we know that African Americans have the highest blood pressure of any discrete group on the planet, not in America, not in Florida, but on the planet. And, and, and that's an extraordinary thing. We know that black women suffer higher cases of, of breast cancer, of, of black children have higher rates of asthma. And all of these things go untreated because we actually go to the doctor's rest. And, and so we, we've been emphasizing that as a city, and, and that's get, gotten us some, some recognition. Hopefully, we can start paying attention to that as a county and as a country. Because, because really, look, the, the access to health care is important. But creating a culture where people actually go to the doctor, take their loved ones to the doctor, pay attention to their health, those are the things that, that change health outcomes. And those are the things that ultimately, when you get in situations like this, when you have a global pandemic ravaging your country, um, it prepares you from a health and a physical perspective to actually 
uh, withstand the storm. That would be a great part of the new normal. Mm -hmm. Mayor Oliver Gilbert, thank you so much for your time. Great to have you with us today. Thank you, Oliver. Great to see you. All right, up next, the president of the University of Miami, Dr. Julio Frank. Not just a university president, he's also a doctor and former health minister of Mexico. He's next. Stay tuned. Earlier in our show, we heard from a former University of Miami president, Donna Shalala. The current U.M. president is Julio Frank, a fourth-generation physician and Mexico's former Minister of Health, and he is also about to be the interim CEO of U-Health, U.M.'s health system. Dr. Frank joins us now from Pinecrest via Skype. How are you? President Frank. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, President Frank, you bring special expertise to this whole subject. I'm going to ask you to wear your MD hat right now. Uh, just in plain language, is South Florida and is the country opening up too soon? Well, I, I think this is all a balancing act. And um, given that 48 states have opened, I think the key issue, as the major was saying, is not, it's not whether to open or not, but how you open. If you open carefully with a science-based approach, uh, as we're doing in South, in South Florida, I think it can be done safely. And the key here is going to be to continue to, to test and, and trace, make sure that we can detect any spike. And the other key thing is to have the capacity, if there was a spike, to quickly treat them. And that is the case in our hospitals at U-Health and throughout all the hospitals in South Florida, there is the capacity if, if there was that. But the question is how to open the behaviors that people need to follow when they're out. Uh, that, that is the key. Dr. Frank, and you are, you're right, we've been talking about that throughout this whole program. We've also been talking about the need for continued and varied testing. University of Miami was partnered with Miami-Dade County for this surveillance testing that's still going on uh, about uh, find, finding where the, the pockets are. And, um, and I'm wondering, as a representative of that effort, when you learn this week that some of the antibody testing and the other testing really was not, might not be as accurate as we thought, almost <clears throat> to the point where half of the results may not be accurate. I wonder if you would weigh in on, on your concerns about all of this testing and are we really getting an accurate picture? Yes, um, you know, this is a new virus. We've never, humans have never <laughs> encountered it. So we're learning as we go. And, and there's a really, I've never seen a pace of progress in science as the one we're experiencing here, both in the testing, in the drug, uh, in the you know, diagnostic and screening test, drug development, and a vaccine. So things are moving very quickly, but uh, we are pivoting right now to a much more accurate uh, test. Uh, we're, we're ready to launch. And, 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 and those, it doesn't mean that the earlier results are not uh, credible. There were a few maybe uh, false negatives but the overall picture is still valid. But we're improving because, you know, all of these developments are happening in real time. This is a very fluid situation. And the bright side is the science is making progress literally every day. Yeah, Dr. Frank, let me ask you a few questions here about uh, the University of Miami, great institution, one of the biggest employers in, in fact, Miami-Dade County. Uh, when classes resume this fall, will your students be in the classroom Will there be remote learning? How are you going to do it? We are planning for, our, for an 
on time and on campus opening in the fall. We will remain closed through the, through the summer term, uh, but we will open on time and on campus, obviously provided we can do so safely. That's our absolute top priority, the safety of our students, faculty, and staff. But we are getting ready for that. We, are, we have done extremely careful planning uh, on how that would look like. And basically, you know, we're doing contact, uh, first of all, testing of our students, faculty, and staff, contact tracing, continuous tracking of the virus, because it, there's also environmental tracking that we can do. We are redesigning every space so that we will be able to introduce the distancing measures that are necessary, the physical distancing measures, in residential areas, in dining halls, in classrooms. We are redesigning the timing of classrooms so that we can uh, avoid large groups of students being together in one classroom for a class. We will have blended formats where students, even while they're on campus, some of them will be online, some of them will be in the classroom, and that's all to allow the physical distancing. We will require the use of masks when people are in public spaces. Masks are not so, they protect you for sure, but they're also to protect others. And the sort of, that, that's one of the key behaviors, by the way, to opening the entire economy. It is that mutual, that mutuality of purpose where I protect you, you protect me by all wearing a mask when we're in public, not in private, obviously. And then the last thing we're doing, which is very interesting, and that also applies for the larger community, is vaccinating. Not against coronavirus, because we don't yet have that, but against the flu. Come fall, we will be in the regular flu season. And it's very important that everyone gets their flu shots so that we don't now have in the hospital flu patients, mm -hmm. but we need to take care of, of corona patients. Also, for the health of everyone, we don't know how those two germs interact. So the one vaccine that we do have, which is the influenza vaccine, we should make sure everyone gets it in the fall. So That's those are our plans. It's, it's a very interesting time for higher education. Yeah, Dr. Frank, before we let you go real quickly, there was something that I'm not sure we ever got a very clear question to uh, put back on your you health hat. Uh, back when testing was not very plentiful, the people on Fisher Island, where there is a clinic for you health, uh, the wealthiest zip code in the United States at one point, and maybe still, um, they were able to get testing for all of their residents and staff when people in pockets of Miami-Dade who were showing symptoms were having a hard time getting testing. H how did that happen and why? Yeah, just to be clear, that was not the diagnostic testing, which is the one where there were shortages. That's part of this community-based uh, uh, serological testing, testing in the blood to test for antibodies. And, and that was part of that mapping of where there might be a hot zones. It turns out that uh, that particular island has a number of attributes. It has a very large proportion of people who Dr. Their, Frank, are Dr. high risk. Dr. Frank, I, I do apologize. We are out of time, but it's great sure. to have you on our program. We invite you to come back in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks My so pleasure. Much. Thank you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We want to thank you for spending this hour with us as we navigate the effects of the COVID-19 crisis. You know we are online 24-7 at local10.com, so please do stay in touch. And we are with you all the way, every step. We will get through this together. Remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. We'll see you next Sunday, and here is a long-distance <laughs> fist bump. <laughs>